Welcome everybody to the second Holder podcast episode. Uh, this is still in beta version, but as of now, we're calling this our Holder Cast. And this podcast is just a handful of folks here on the Holder team uh, sharing kind of updates on big news and happenings in our world that affect uh, the Holder business or even just things we're interested in around the wide world of Web3. If you aren't familiar with Holder, we are a Web3 CRM and marketing automation platform. My name is Drew Beachler. I'm the CEO here at Holder, and I'm joined here today with Skylar Braun and Joel Moser, also on the Holder team. So let's jump right into it. Our first story, we're going to kick off with some breaking news. We're recording this on Tuesday, December 13th. And last night, SBF was formally arrested in the Bahamas. And so we have not dug into much of the FTX scandal yet here on this podcast, but uh, I'm going to hand it over to Skylar and see if he wants to just bring us up to speed and kind of where we are today. Yeah, I think that actually surprised a lot of people that he was arrested. I think we all knew it was coming, but I don't think we knew it was coming then. I think SBF, even earlier that day in a Twitter spaces, said himself that he didn't think he was going to get arrested. And then he got arrested that night. So talk about some bad luck. This kind of all started back, I'd say about a month ago now, where SBF, so Sam Bankman Freeze, now the ex-CEO and founder of FTX, was alleged of stealing somewhere in the tune of $8 billion plus dollars and customer funds, investor funds. He has since done quite a few Twitter spaces, interviews with media channels like the New York Times, and in all effects has really dodged very hard questions around where did the funds go? How did you not know? And the general defense so far from him has been, well, it was just an oversight. You know, our accounting dashboards were not quite up to date. There was a small error. This is probably just to angle himself as a good person and an honest mistake. But I think that's pretty hard to believe given the amount of money that we're talking about going missing. I mean, $8 million doesn't just go missing. I think Brian Armstrong, the uh, founder and CEO of Coinbase, came out and tweeted himself, you don't just lose $8 billion. Like You're going to notice that money moving around. So I think I... I mean, that's not pocket change for you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I lose pocket change all the time. Is that, is that not pocket change? Maybe, maybe when you're using everybody else's money, that's, that's uh, pocket change. Yep. But um, <laughs> I mean, that, that is the approach. It seems like he, he took though, in, in all fairness to SBF, which I don't know how much of this he deserves. It is, you know, innocent until proven guilty, but that said, he has now been arrested. So this caught a lot of the Congress off guard. In fact, Maxine Waters was kind of leading this, calling SBF to a congressional hearing that was supposed to be today, in fact. And I think he tweeted back to her a couple of weeks ago that I am not going to be able to make it because I don't have all of the facts, which was pretty disappointing here that he even had the option to not show up at the time. But here we are, and he's now been arrested. And I think some of Congress is a little disappointed that he's not going to be able to show up today. Although I think personally, and love to get both of your opinions, I think we've heard enough, right, to put this guy at least behind bars for now until we can figure out where did all this money go and, and how did this all happen. So that has kind of been a quick recap of what has happened today, where we are now. If you want to learn more? There is probably tons of content out there that you can kind of catch yourself up to speed. But let's talk about what's what's the consensus. He's he's been arrested. He's behind bars. He is now, I believe, being extradited to the United States if he is not already here now. What's next? And any opinions on what's going to come next? Uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that there's there's just going to be layers to this onion. <laughs> We're just going to keep peeling them back. There's probably going to be even more that the general public doesn't know, more that 
you know, SEC and all the, all the federal authorities don't even know. I, I'm, I'm sure they're just going to be more to that um, as there kind of seems to always be with large, crazy issues like this. When you were talking about just him not understanding or not really seeming to have a full grasp of the situation, even though he is the situation, uh, <laughs> I, I'm reminded of something my dad used to always say, and I can't remember if I said this last podcast or not, but you can justify anything in your own mind. And I think that's where he, you know, quote unquote, air quotes, all that gets away with it is he's justifying it and he's figured out a way to make it make sense. Yeah, I would agree. The This morning, a lot of the kind of uh, facts that I got was from, so I'm just reading straight from Axios's pro rata newsletter from Dan Primack. And I think just two, two things to note. One is that I think it's important to note that both the criminal charges are they're unreleased as of like right now. So we don't know kind of what is in them, but supposedly it includes wire fraud, wire fraud, conspiracy and money laundering. But then also this morning, the SEC sued SBF for quote, orchestrating a scheme to defraud equity investors and FTX. So it is interesting that both kind of the civil suit from the SEC and their investors in business itself of FTX, as well as kind of the criminal case. So I think just to note that you're, you're right, there's many layers to this, I think we'll get kind of unpeeled over time, but I was glad to see both a criminal uh, case and kind of the SEC going after SBF here. The only other thing I would add is just, I think I saw Joel this earlier. I, um, I've never used FTX and I don't know if now just in like hindsight, it's like, oh yeah, this is the reason why I never used FTX. And like, I feel so smart about this and I don't want to come off that way. But there, I do feel like I remember very vividly early on hearing about FDX and knowing that they were based in the Bahamas and thinking that's just a little sketchy. And Coinbase is great enough for me for a, to use as my centralized exchange. And so I'm just going to keep using Coinbase. And so I'm lucky that I felt that way, but I'll just kind of go back to like, I think in the US, we need more clear regulations around what is legal and illegal. And just kind of think hard around like the companies you're working with and where they're based and why. And yeah, that's kind of all I would have to say around that. I think this will be great though, to finally kind of cleanse the palate of SBF and FTX, maybe in the news cycle and him no longer going on his kind of news campaign of interviews. It'll be great to kind of wash that out and we can kind of start to get back to rebuilding the ecosystem and not have kind of the cloud, the dark cloud of SBF and fraud and, you know, crypto is all just a scam uh, kind of looming over the industry at large. And so I'm kind of excited that hopefully this kind of just puts an end to that chapter and we can kind of move on and start to think about the the bigger and better use cases and opportunities that exist in, in this space personally. Yeah. I, I also, I don't know, I, I really would love for people to take a deeper look at the space and kind of come to a, the same conclusion that I have, or at least maybe some similar conclusion. Not that what I think is perfectly correct, but it just doesn't seem like crypto and the Web3 NFT utility space are really tied. Like, yes, technically you have to use some cryptocurrency to interact with that space, but for the most part, it feels like all of the de- decentralized finance, all of that, like what people are really considering crypto is just completely isolated from what we're working on for the most part. Like I didn't, I was not personally affected by any of that. Yeah. Really. <laughs> I, I think, I think from an investor standpoint, this hurts a lot of startups, especially to see something like this come out where 
you know, this guy's been mishandling funds and it just so happened to be in the crypto space. I mean, this type of thing is not new. This has happened many times over. I mean, I'm sure many know about Enron, a lot of similarities there, even down to, you know, the purchasing and, or I should say naming of a stadium, right? A baseball stadium, Enron stadium and FTX kind of pulled from the same playbook and named their own. So there's a lot of similarities there. I think that's what's hurting the space. I agree, but also disagree a little bit, Drew, with your point around hopefully that this is the end. I personally feel like this is probably the end of chapter one, where he is now, you know, being extradited to the United States. And it remains to be seen because the reality is there is still a lot of money that is missing. One thing that he mentioned uh, many times over in his spaces is that he really does believe FTX US to be totally solvent and could today, if turned back on withdrawals, that is that all customers could be made whole as we call it in the space. So everybody getting the money that they posited in FTX US, they would be able to get that money back. I don't know how true that is, but I will say I also like you drew at one point looked into creating an FTX account. Although the reasons I did that was because I was looking into what are the best exchanges to trade on. And I came to FTX because I saw a lot of prolific traders, at least on Twitter, were using FTX. Although I found out later on that they were using the global version, not the US version. And the US one is severely limited, just like every other US exchange is. I think there's really only a handful right now that you can do any kind of leverage trading on, although that's like a totally different topic. I did not make an account. I am thankful that I did not move forward with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I almost did the exact same thing with Binance. Um, I, I was almost going so far as to figure out how to get on the global version with a doing like VPN and all this other stuff. And then I figured out, and then I discovered that you have to basically KYC yourself in another country and you kind of have to have a like mailing address or like it's, it's all these sorts of weird things that I'm just like, eh, that just feels like a lot of one, like a lot of work. I'm kind of glad that I'm, there's a little bit of laziness factor. If I'm honest, it keeps me out of trouble sometimes. Um, so, but yeah, I, I mean, it, I, I looked into it and, it and it's possible. And, and I think one of the hard things is that so much of this is, uh, or so much of the, oh, NFT or not NFTs, but like web three space and these blockchains are, almost bigger outside of the States. And so I think the hardest part with that is bigger outside the United States. Whenever you're Googling for what are the best things, you find a lot of information that is not that you usually whenever you see a disclaimer for something and it's like um, only available in, and usually the United States is the number one on the list for this thing is only available in the United States, Canada, UK, whatever. And for a lot of web three, it's actually the opposite that says like not available in, and the United States is the first one on the list, uh, which is kind of, uh, which is an interesting word. Cause I had a Nexo account and recently they've been rolling back a lot of the stuff because uh, I think a little bit due to the whole FTS FTX fiasco, but also I think that they've been having discussions with the sec and figured out that they're not maybe going to regulate things as much. And so they're just like, we're pulling back just for protection for protecting ourselves. But if you Google, where's a good place to exchange and park money as like Nexo it ends up up there on the list somewhere. And nope, not for the States though. So it, it, it's a really weird, yeah. Kind of weird I, I kind of want to transition over to that because I think this is happening right now. Binance is getting a lot of fun. They are the number one crypto exchange, I think, by market cap in the world. And they are also not based in the United States. And what's interesting about that is I really think part of that is just people trying to get a lower entry price. Although I'm cautiously optimistic that 
CZ after everything that has happened. And CZ, for those who don't know, is the CEO and founder of Binance that he right now in his kind of tweet storms about the withdrawals that people are making off the Binance exchange and kind of flooding their exchange as a whole right now that they are actually solvent and that they did not, in fact, fail an audit like I think a third party company came out and said. But I think this is an interesting topic and would love to get both of your opinions on around crypto regulation and regulated crypto. And I'll kind of start just to get the conversation going. I think crypto regulation is probably near impossible and never going to happen. And what I mean by that is Bitcoin, if we take that as like the purest form of a cryptocurrency and a blockchain, you cannot regulate Bitcoin. You cannot fundamentally stop somebody from running the Bitcoin ledger you know, on their computer and participating in that network throughout the world. You, you can't, I, I suppose, right, there's the 51% attack. And from that perspective, you could. But from a crypto regulation standpoint, you can't regulate that. But from a regulated crypto perspective, and I'm using these, these terms very specifically here, I think you can. And what I mean by that is this is governments like the United States, which it seems like the world looks to for crypto, at least right now it is on regulation where we can come in and say, this is the proper and improper use of crypto. And I think that is probably going to be one of the things that sets the space free right now. It's the wild, wild west. And I'll give a very specific example of why I think this is needed. The founder of Tornado Cash, who created what is effectively a protocol, but what it did was allowed people to deposit their money in and then it would deposit money out, except it you know, obfuscated where that money came from. So it was no longer traceable, which kind of gets away from this whole public immutable blockchain where you can see where money has gone. You, you can't once you put money into Tornado Cash. He was arrested for creating that, but there's no regulation in place that says he couldn't do that. But, you know, retroactively, we're saying, well, you, you can't do something like create Tornado Cash. And, and here he is. I think he's still behind bars today. I, don't, I haven't followed up with that story. But I think it's interesting, had there been regulation in place that says you cannot make a protocol or a decentralized application that does these specific things, right? I doubt he would have done it. Maybe somebody else would have, right? People will do whatever they want in the end. But I think it's interesting that that might not have happened. He might not be behind bars had there actually been regulation and pray in place. So I'll just kind of like leave it there. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. My, my first thought is really when it comes down to the general thesis of so many early creators of the, of these like public blockchains and web three and that whole space, the thesis was that it would be open and maybe not unregulated. So I don't necessarily want to say that, but it seems that so much of it was about open innovation and being able to build anything you want. And the idea being that the community would decide what is a good thing and a bad thing. And that, I mean, cause it, it's kind of like the whole consensus mechanism of Ethereum and a lot of other blockchains that use consensus where bad actors will eventually no longer be allowed to confirm blocks because they will be confirming a bad set of blocks. And so therefore they're not going to get paid the, but for, but that, I mean, that's the idea of consensus is that the everybody who's validating as a whole comes together and decides what the like proper next block is. It's still weird, but the, but what I'm really just trying to say here is that the idea of the open innovation and the idea that the like decentralized community as a whole would decide what is a good thing and what is a bad thing is kind of where that comes from. And then having a centralized authority regulate it is where it starts to feel counter or against the ethos. Yeah. And and I'll pray a little bit on Tornado Cash here. 
I cannot think right now, at least of a single good use of tornado cash that isn't nefarious. So in some ways, it's like, okay, you know, I kind of get why this happened. Uh, I don't agree uh, to be clear with the fact that he was arrested for creating this, but at the same time, you know, again, I can't right now think of anything that this would be used for, for good, but getting back to like the regulation, you know, talking point, I think it is going to be absolutely vital for the space to move forward and progress. I think we will continue to have scandals. I think we will continue to have things go wrong. I think we're going to stub our foot. I think this one is a pretty bad one. Maybe we broke our knee with, you know, SPF, but we're, you know, this is all a learning process. This has happened probably to every new technology since their inception. And this frankly is a technology. If we talk about just ETH is now seven years old. Bitcoin is 13 years old, right? The concept of blockchains is a little older than that, but like actual application, I mean, by all means is incredibly young. So I think we will continue to see more about that. So truly truly anonymous donations is the only thing I can think of if somebody wanted to remain truly anonymous to donating to some sort of charity. But I, you could also say that like, oh yeah, truly anonymous donations to a political campaign. And that starts to get a little weird. (laughs) Yeah. I'll just say that we still, despite how much we interact and you know, online and on the internet and interact now on a blockchain, like us personally, like there is still this real world life and ecosystem and organization that we're a part of that is United States of America, you know, our, the state that we live in and the city and the county and the township and all that kind of stuff. And so just, I think we still have to keep that in mind that like everything you're doing online, despite kind of it being borderless online, we still kind of, there are laws in place and rules and ways that we interact that are in place for, you know, upholding a society, you know? And so for a tornado cash example, every other business on the planet, every other business in the United States has to abide by OFAC and any money laundering laws. You know what I mean? And like, we cannot facilitate uh, the funding of a terrorist organization, for example. And, um, so I, I, I understand it though. I also don't think it's great, but I think we're just kind of like bending the rules here where like, it's different. It's just a little bit different when like you're creating a protocol that may help fund things like that versus if you're Uber or Lyft who are kind of like bending the rules around what is a taxi or what is not, or your Airbnb and you're bending the rules around what is a hotel and what is not the ramifications of those are just a little bit different than in kind of the crypto world. So I do think that, you know, the whole like with great responsibility comes or with great power comes great responsibility. Like I do think that like, we just need to keep that in mind. And that's just kind of off of my soapbox. Also though, SBF is not new by any means or stretch of the imagination. Again, back to the Enron kind of parallels. This happens all the time with new innovations and people kind of bending the rules and kind of pushing the boundaries and then ends up doing, you know, something that actually is illegal. And so I think with any new technology, people will try to kind of push the border and, um, and kind of push the boundaries and hopefully kind of, we can get past this quicker to, um, still moving on to kind of broader innovation in the space. Yep. Absolutely agree. One last thing I will add, there have been, I think four or five different networks and streaming services who have claimed that they are going to be making a Netflix or HBO max 
or Disney Plus series about all of this. So it'll be interesting to see how many of these do actually come out. If you are interested in learning about these, I always have fun with these types of shows. Not that this is you no know, situation that can be made fun of or is, is a light situation at all. But I think maybe to add a little optimism here at the end that maybe there's something we can look forward to. So I'd be curious what the outcome of that ends up being. And I wonder if that actually somehow in a weird way draws people into the space. In a, and even though it's a negative overall for the space, it, I think there's an interesting possibility. Maybe there. we will. All right. Moving on to Ledger Stacks. So Ledger is a what are they? They're, they're hardware just wallet. hardware, hardware wallet, wallet, cold right? wallet, hardware wallet. Thank you. Um, I think they're based in Europe. They're one of the oldest for sure. I, I think when you think hardware wallets, at least for me, I think Ledger and I think Trezor. And for the most part, I have seen Ledger kill it from a marketing perspective. This is coming from someone. I feel like I have to disclose this now. I own their Ledger Marketplace Genesis Pass. Do think they have provided a ton of utility through it so far. I think the past couple of drops have been just okay. And when I say air drops, I'm meaning air drops. So they have given me some kind of utility through my wallet for owning this pass, just for the viewers who are maybe not so familiar with pass like this or, or the pass itself. So we kind of wanted to talk about this new technology that they have just released called Ledger Stacks. And this is a e-reader style, almost like a tablet. I believe it was designed by the same person who helped design the iPod. I think you, I did not know that. I think that's pretty epic. I'm a person who personally buys into hype. So I was not going to buy one of these because I have four different Ledger Nano Xs and it feels like having one more of these probably don't need another hardware wallet. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and stop there. What do you guys think of this new Ledger Stacks? I have a Ledger Nano or no, uh, maybe the Ledger X. I don't remember. I have one of them. And so I don't necessarily need one, but I have been thinking more and more about using a hardware wallet. Um, so it's like, I've been kind of been, I've been more interested in this type of technology recently. So it kind of increases my excitement. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I think it's an incredible innovation. I also own a couple of ledgers. Um, Tony Fidel is the, is the, one of the designers on this, who was one of the original designers and builders of the iPod working the iPhone and many other kind of Apple products. Um, Probably, His book you know, Build is awesome. Yeah, probably. I didn't realize when you said designer, I, my first thought was, oh, is it Tony Fadell? But then I was like, ah, maybe not. Maybe it's just like one of the other people that helped. And then, <laughs> yeah, I mean. yeah, probably the second most well-known Apple designer next to Johnny Ives. Yeah, because um, that in the nest. Yeah. And um, so anyway, so, so it's pretty like iconic, I would say, piece of hardware. And because of that, I'm pretty interested in it as, a, as an Apple fanboy as well. But yeah, just kind of reading off the off the press release here is in collaboration with Layer, and it's a credit card sized device with integrated magnets that makes them easily stackable. Hence the name, kind of ledger stacks, particularly those if you own multiple devices. It has their trademarked, I think, e ink display, which covers the fronts and the curves around the spine, so you can view like complete transaction details, but also like actual, not just kind of text. But you could view the NFT as well itself on the actual stacks. So it's just pretty cool. So anyway, I I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I'm Today is actually the mint day for people on the wait list. And I'm debating whether in a couple hours I mint one or not, but we will see. Even as a owner of a couple other ledgers, I think more so I'm just interested because of the kind of iconic design and nature of it. And I think I also am very bullish on Ledger as a company overall. I think anytime you hear their business, you know, them talk about their business and uh, Ian Rogers over there as well. 
anytime you get to hear him talk about kind of like the vision that they have, who he also spent some time at, at Apple, leading Apple Music and things like that for a while. It's just very encouraging and exciting to kind of see some of the things that they're working on. So I'm a big fan and am leaning towards, I will be an early stacks purchaser of one of their first uh, 10,000 NFTs. They're also dropping it as an NFT, which is kind of cool. So you buy mint the NFT here today and tomorrow. Um, if you're a ledger market pass holder, I think you had an open kind of window um, as well. And it comes with, I think, two NFTs, basically one that you can like redeem for the ledger stacks itself. And then another one that's kind of, they've been doing a handful of kind of partnerships around like artwork and specifically. So it's, it's kind of a unique drop too. It's not just Hey, this is available in our shop, but also you can get kind of on-chain provenance of your early adopterness, which is also really kind of interesting. You know, think about if you had on-chain provenance of being one of the first ten thousand iPhone owners. Like that's pretty cool. So I think all of that. I, I like that aspect of it. People aren't kind of talking about that quite as much, but I think that that's pretty cool and a unique way I think to leverage and use NFTs in this way. If only it had like an NFC chip or something like that tied to the ledger stacks, that'd be kind of cool. But anyway, those are a little bit more hackable, but sure. <laughs> yeah, true. Probably less secure, but um, would have been super cool too. I, Maybe I someday. Consider. I'm glad you brought that up. The fact that there's digital provenance of owning what could eventually be, you know, the first of many types of these devices. It's not a, a new hardware wallet from the perspective of hardware wallets have existed for a number of years, but you know, flip phones were the same way until the iPhone came out and that just about changed everything. So I could totally see this changing everything and then being able to go back and say, oh yeah, I was the 200th person to mint this ledger stacks and there's digital provenance that shows that I've done that is pretty cool. And to just piggyback off your comments, with Ledger, i super bullish personally on Ledger as a company in the Web3 space. I think they are doing all the right things. If you go to their website, I think it's just ledger.com. Uh, maybe we can link it in the show notes for listeners. They have all sorts of devices, things that can just help your Web3 journey from kind of low tier devices where you can store one or two cryptos like a Bitcoin or Ethereum on all the way up to these Ledger stacks, which are a little bit more expensive, but you know we're talking about an e-reader type device, and with people who have developed this pretty pretty stacked like that ledger stacks, <laughs> people who have built you can this. see yourself out. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> pretty stacked group, and they have a lot of things like Learn, you know, Ledger Academy on their website. So overall, just really bullish on this company. I think they've been killing it so far with their own NFT drop, and then just building in the space, especially in a bear market. I follow a couple of people on Twitter who have been around for quite a long time. And I've heard from numerous occasions that 2022 has been probably one of the worst years from a crypto perspective. So it's good to see a company like this continuing to build and all other companies for that matter, those who have stuck around through all of this, through SBF, through these economic conditions and the headwinds we're probably going to face next year. So love to see that. For our next story, I'm super excited about this one. This also kind of bleeds into a little bit of what we were talking about before around this kind of dichotomy between the Web3 industry and I'd say the cryptocurrency industry where the cryptocurrency industry has predominantly been dominated by fintech space and financial engineering and kind of more of the innovation on that front. And I see Web3 as more of the cultural innovation around this technology, kind of leveraging the same technology of blockchain that kind of sits in the middle. And so I think one thing just to kind of lead into the increasingly diversified industries and kind of places where both of these play is just seeing all of the big traditional brands that are 
leaning into Web3 and continuing with their Web3 strategies and plans. One of those being Starbucks, who this week launched their first beta for their Starbucks Odyssey program, which we can get into a little bit more. But just at a high level, I think it's super uh, encouraging to see amidst one of the biggest fallouts in crypto and scandals, you see companies like Nike and Starbucks just continue to plow through and not even be phased around you know, what's happening in the broader crypto economy. And they see, hey, this is a new innovation that we're just continuing down this path and we're going to keep trailblazing. And so specifically with Starbucks, I think this is incredible there. You know, there's over 20 million Starbucks rewards users today. Um, to put that in context, I think there's like only a few single digit million total NFT holders today in the world. And so Starbucks is transitioning their entire loyalty program into a blockchain-based, NFT-based loyalty program on Polygon and working with a handful of other partners and providers as well. But this new program is called Odyssey. And a lot of how they're branding this is just their digital loyalty membership program. And so on December 8th, last week, they officially launched their beta program, which is incredibly exciting. The thing that I'm like most interested here, and then I'll kind of open it up for other thoughts, is... You know, you think about Starbucks for years, Starbucks has been, I would say, the leader in the loyalty innovation space. You know, everything from mobile ordering, which was they were doing way before the pandemic and kind of really, I feel like, uh, led the charge on a lot of that space to even just like their loyalty program as a whole has been, I think, one of the most innovative in the space. And basically everyone in the kind of general space has just copied their program. And so I think this is kind of interesting to see them continue to lean in and kind of be on the bleeding edge around loyalty marketing, around technology, around loyalty marketing, and particularly using NFTs and blockchain technology to do that. And so just kind of reading off their press release specifically, I find um, one of the most interesting things is, you know, they call this, uh, this is our next big innovation and loyalty. And so even they themselves are kind of, um, using a lot of this terminology and talking about this program is going to be, um, you know, just another feather in their cap around uh, leading the charge around what it means to build a loyalty program and how to drive loyalty among your, among your users. So all that to say, I am super bullish and excited around the Starbucks Odyssey program. I think this will open up NFTs and blockchain to a whole just generation of people that, uh, NFTs were inaccessible to before, um, or they had zero interest in NFTs before. And I think Starbucks will uh, help make this much more mainstream. And I think we're seeing a lot more traditional big brands and enterprise brands into the space as well. And is super exciting for the industry as a whole. Yeah. I'm really curious how this expands the market and so much of the web three space thus far has kind of focused on it, especially with, I mean, going back to the fallout of FTX and all of that stuff is like the whole, not your keys, not your crypto, blah, 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 all of that. And I don't see Starbucks trying to bring on 10 million people and everybody have to bring their own self-custody wallet and blah, 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 blah. Like they're not going to do that. Like everyone's just going to have a wallet and they're going to manage it for them. And for most people, that's going to be fine. But what I hope it does is make them curious enough to maybe look into it deeper. And then maybe they do end up having their own wallet at a certain point because just having your Starbucks rewards on there and like, that's not a huge, yeah, they can take it away at any time. Well, yeah, that's still 
true with the Web2 today. So it wouldn't be no different than what their experience is. And so I don't think there's any negatives as I'm as I'm sure some people probably see with trying to onboard more people and not let them own their own stuff. Like, yes, they kind of still don't own it, even though it's Web3, even though it's on the blockchain, even though it's, you know, it's on a wallet that is technically owned by them. It Starbucks technically has the keys to. It's no different, but it does expose them to the space in a more user-friendly way. And I, I think that that is probably going to be the only way we really get people on board because so many people are just scared. Yeah. And I think it's important to really understand what an NFT is and a non-fungible token. And if we effectively summarize that to its core of being a non-fungible token in crypto or Web3's case, this is just a digital token that represents something else. And for whatever reason, that term has not resonated with, I think, the community thus far. I mean, the people that are in it, totally fine with the, the term. The people Because it's highly right, technical. Exactly. And I, I, you hit the nail on the head. And I think the people that are not have not really bought into that term. And I think Starbucks has been really intentional about calling these just digital tokens and digital experiences. So, but going back to this a digital token that really represents something else. I'm curious on what their plans will be for this loyalty program. They kind of outlined what their vision for this is, is to bring a new and unique way to offer different benefits and immersive experiences. So just to kind of share to date, immersive experiences from an NFT perspective or a utility perspective, I feel like that has been access to an event. So NFT NYC, if you have this NFT, you are granted access to our uh, party that we're hosting, you know, at this Web3 conference, Web3 event, or it could even be in the form of if you have this NFT, you are eligible to purchase this merch that we have, you know, at a discount or maybe even get it for free. Right. Like that, I think to date has been the experience that has been offered so far. And to Drew's point around being a leader in not many spaces, really, but I think especially the brand loyalty and I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what they actually bring to the table as far as these experiences go and what they're going to do differently, knowing because they were intentional about the fact that they called these digital collectibles. So clearly they are in tune with what the audience of they are trying to market to is and what's going to get them to buy into something like that in the first place. If you go on to their website and sign up for the waitlist, which I think it is still open today. They just rolled out a beta program. I don't think any of us were on it. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but nowhere on their website do they mention really anything about Web3 or NFTs. Uh, they just call it a unique digital experience for the most part. And you can sign up to be a part of this new generation of brand loyalty and experiences, which I think is going to be the way to go. And now that they have done this, they are absolutely yet again going to have first mover advantage, just like Bitcoin did in the cryptocurrency space where they are the first to do this. And hopefully that means, you know, a lot of good is going to come from. I think about from my wife's perspective, um, she likes Starbucks. I, I think she might have some sort of rewards thing. They announced something like this. And from her perspective, it's like, oh, okay, they've got a new rewards thing. That's interesting. But from my perspective, I'm like, no, this is completely different than anything you've ever done before. But she would have no idea. Uh, we haven't actually had the conversation because I don't think Maybe she's noticed yet or whatever, but that's the interesting part is so much of the world is going to see this as just new to your point about they probably workshopped and did focus groups around what words could they use that would draw people in, but wouldn't turn them away thinking that it's 
you know, tied to the whole FDX thing. I'm sure they did so much because they're a gigantic company and that's what they, that, that's how they find new ways to build products and experiences and everything is they workshop them. They do all of these things. Whereas a lot of the smaller kind of web three, a lot of the native people to the space aren't probably doing that either. They don't have the money to do that or they're too focused on the tech to do that. They're not thinking about it from the wider masses. So I'm wondering if Starbucks will be one of the ones leading the charge for the web three space kind of across the chasm. Yeah. And just to, as someone who's non-technical and I think about what they're doing right now, um, and I am in the web three space, I don't care necessarily how Instagram or Facebook was written. Like I could not tell you at this very moment, what languages those, you know, programs or applications were written in. You as an engineer could probably tell me exactly what it is and maybe geek about you know, what and why it's cool and why it was innovative at the time and what they did was epic. And I think Starbucks is taking the right approach because in the end, I think the masses really just don't care, right? The underpinnings of what's happening. They just care. Is this experience, is the value that could be provided to me something that is worth me buying into and in Web3's case opting into. So they're going to be opting into this new experience. And that's been an ethos, I think, for Web3, which again is a relatively new term, Web3, I think like the past year, but has been opt-in, right? You own your data. Uh, but I think it'll be really, really fascinating to see how they pull this off. Uh, I, I really think they only have one chance to get this right, especially when they launch this to the masses, or else we might start to see other Web2 brands who are maybe watching what Starbucks does you know, with this maybe begin to waver, but you know, this is all just speculation at this point. I think overall how they've done it so far has not led me to believe that would be the case, but just something to think about. Yeah. I will say this though, despite whether it bombs or not, they're getting a ton of press and are being seen as the leader and it's putting, put a lot of attention back on Starbucks, which has not necessarily been in the limelight uh, for a very long time. So regardless it's been a good strategy on that front. I do th just want to kind of highlight though, too. I think that still using the nomenclature NFT is probably as an industry may actually be the right move for us just because I think there is something still to highlight like why an NFT is unique and different. And, you know, when someone is playing a game in the future that does not use NFTs versus a game that does use NFTs, I think people need to understand and there we need to use kind of something that shows this difference between like, this is on chain, you own this, you have, you know, on chain provenance and kind of digitally verifiable ownership of this good that you can take elsewhere and it kind of is borderless versus, you know, I'm buying this skin or using these points that only exist in this ecosystem. And so I do think that there is still a, a need for the term around NFT just to make sure that we don't forget why is this technology valuable, what makes this better, you know, I mean, in the ecosystem. And so I think hopefully still there'll be a lot of that kind of education component in, in what Starbucks and what others are doing as well. And I think that that'll be really important for the long-term longevity of the, of the ecosystem. So, and with that is going to be a wrap for our second episode here of the holder cast. So thank you all for listening. If you want to learn more about holder, you can go to holder.xyz or follow us on Twitter at holder XYZ, and we will catch you on the next one. Take care.